Welcome to the 392nd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. What's new? What's new is Omicron. Yes, I seem to have contracted it along with my mother uh, and Michael. Um, I would guess we got it somewhere in our travels to Houston. My mother came down with it first. Um, having been a very hopeful survivor of probably the alpha version of COVID a couple years ago, I thought my immunity was complete. There have been studies out showing that Omicron can sneak back in to those of us who have immunity to everything else. Good news is that now we have immunity to Omicron and got a booster to Alpha, Delta, and whatever other versions out there. So I'm happy to report uh, day five. Um, I'm two days actually without fever, two days back to walking, and uh, all is well. Symptoms of Omicron versus Alpha, um, not as bad. Headache, nasty still. Um, you know, I likened it to the Steve Martin arrow through the head. Um, just kind of unrelentless. I didn't have a taste for my coffee, so I probably had a little bit of caffeine withdrawal. It made it, you know, double worse, perhaps. I don't know. Um, and a little intermittent cough. You can see I'm nasally here today. Uh, I might get a little hoarse as we talk. It seems like my voice doesn't kind of last as long, so I may have to do this in pieces. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, maybe a little bit of body aches. Uh, again, fever for 101 and a half for a couple days, and then it broke. Um, felt much better after the fever broke. So what did I do? I did ivermectin. I did four doses of ivermectin. I did vitamin C. I tried to get as many grams as I possibly could. Um, you know, over 10. I didn't hit 20 grams. Just, um, you know, at first I wasn't really wanting to admit that I had Omicron. Uh, my mom actually at 89 did very, very well. Um, she fevered, not really fever, chills and fatigue. Uh, lack, lack of appetite was her main symptoms and just the blahs for a few days and she bounced back. So uh, my unvaccinated 89-year-old mother um, is now going out to breakfast a week later with her friends back in action. And she worked her way back up into steps. You know, that plan was with her, got to keep moving, got to keep moving. So, you know, her steps went down for the couple of days she felt really bad. And then, uh, you know, walk around the house, walk around the house and, uh, Yesterday, she was up doing her usual dust mopping, you know, trying to get her usual steps in. She tries to keep herself at 3,500 steps a day when she's not golfing. So, um, glad to report that the diva is doing good. I think that, again, her movement um, is a tribute to um, how well she um, bounces back from things. Her appetite was down, my appetite was down, so that meant both both uh, potential cooks were down. Luckily, uh, made some soups that we had. Um, but yeah, but back to the vitamins. Vitamin C, um, I did ivermectin, vitamin D, uh, I take every day, and uh, zinc and quetiapine I added back. Took a little turmeric for headaches. I also doubled my melatonin dose. I was taking 20 milligrams at night. Um, Slept, you know, just rested, and, you know, that this too has passed. It's kind of funny. I think a lot of people that have the vaccine have similar couple days of fevers and chills. So, you know, again, 
it's over and I'm moving on other than my nose trying to clear it back and make it a comeback like you do from every other uh, virus that we encounter, boost your immune system and go on. I would like to thank my practice family for all the well wishes. Um, I am very fortunate, honored, and humbled to have such nice practice family members who called to encourage, you know, uh, that I get better, you know, being a plant-based cardiologist, plant-based doctor, you know, fringe, you know, oh my goodness, I fell to Omicron. It's kind of funny, you know, but last week I talked about good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people, let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I'm plant-based and uh, I, I got Omicron, you know, it's not, I'm not bulletproof. But I am prepared to, you know, get through things. And I, and I do think eating well is, and we're going to talk about that in this episode, you know, you're, you prepare yourself for adversity that come your way and there will, will always be bumps in the road and you're more likely to be able to handle them uh, and adjust if you're already, you know, doing well nutritionally. Um, didn't have much of an appetite. Uh, fruit tasted good. You know, papaya and watermelon and blueberries uh, seemed to taste the, the best for me. You know, all things aligned, that sugarcane juice that uh, I looked up that has all those antioxidants in it, that's the other thing that tasted marvelous. So I hydrated with um, sugarcane juice, water, green tea, and watermelon. You know, I ate watermelon, papaya, blueberries, had some soup. You know, not much, not much else. Um, couldn't look at my beloved salads. You know, I love a giant salad at lunchtime, but uh, it just didn't have much of appeal to me. But I could, you know, we did cook cauliflower, zucchini, and things like that that uh, were able to, to get by. Just, just less of it and let, let the body heal. Today I want to talk a little bit about dementia and Alzheimer's. June is Alzheimer's month. Um, ironically, my father passed away in June, secondary to dementia, Alzheimer's. Um, it's a terrible diagnosis and um, difficult to watch. In some respects, probably diff more difficult for the caregivers than it is. Um, well, I don't know. It's, 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 cer it's certainly difficult for everybody involved. I know when my dad had Alzheimer's, especially early on, you know, knowing something is wrong, um, but not trying, you know, trying to figure out what it is. And then, of course, the awful thought that, you know, uh, that is occurring and he would have episodes or, 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 you know, periods of he was very aware and then have memory lapses and very aware that memory lapses. And so it was very frustrating. The other thing that happened to him was that um, he had uh, an impairment in his vision, his brain's ability to actually interpret what his eyes saw. And so he, you know, it started with, you know, let's change glasses. He accumulated a bunch of glasses. Um, it, there was actually a deaf perception. Um, my dad was very mechanical and the, the ability to repair things, uh, change out screws, um, change out blades and, and knives or, you know, uh, drill bits, things that required a little bit of fine motor skill and lining things up into little holes uh, became very difficult for him. And, you know, we thought it was his eyes because he just, you know, I mean, it's never in his life. He was a mechanic. 
Um, and, you know, again, very did all kinds of uh, repair uh, and, and, you know, was very good with his hands and all of a sudden not to be able to do that or, or gradually not to be able to do that was very frustrating. So cataracts repaired, you know, you might, you, you know, this story might ring true to you. Um, you know, people say, oh, you have cataracts and that didn't solve it and glasses didn't solve it. And um, MRI eventually showed um, what, what we would call, you know, multi-infarct dementia, little white spots. And, and you can't really determine Alzheimer's uh, on a traditional scan. I mean, it's, they're better now. Some of the other symptoms he had was, you know, again, the ability to make change, things that, you know, he was a businessman. It was, you know, all of a sudden, um, and, and again, that vision thing when he was driving, which was really scary at first, he, he really didn't tell anybody, and, and he just, he couldn't tell where people were in other lanes, so he would just stay in the lane that he was in and then come back around the other side so he didn't have to change lanes. So he was cautious enough to know something was going on uh, but certainly was impaired. And I'll talk more about his, his symptoms later as I talk about treatments. Um, but, you know, now there's some blood tests for early diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia. And, you know, I, I still um, question whether or not it's a great thing to do because we don't really have much of an option that changes the course of disease other than, you know, comes back to what I would do with everybody. Um, and it turns out that, um, you know, sometimes when people get that diagnosis and they get it early, it's, it's not like early treatment is going to change things um, other than, you know, perhaps that is the time, you know, again, just like everything else, you know, you alter your nutrition and you might make things better. But that early diagnosis can really be um, devastating for families. And, you know, it is this worry about the future. Um, you know, sometimes I think not knowing might be just a little bit better or adjusting to symptoms as they go might be a little better and you deal with, your, deal with things as they come. Um, because I think sometimes that sense of doom that people have no hope is worse than just dealing with, okay, we're going to try to do these things to make your memory a little bit better or your mind a little bit better. And, and these are things we can do that are positive, not give somebody this fatal diagnosis. There's nothing we can do. Um, the gold standard, obviously, autopsy to look at Alzheimer's, um, look at brain, these tangles and these protein deposits and spinal fluid testing. And again, some advanced brain imaging are better than they used to be. The biotech companies that offer Alzheimer's diagnosis, um, you know, they can be expensive and depending on the tests, they're not that accurate. And it turns out they're very inaccurate in uh, the black population. And, and so, you know, again, you know, giving people this diagnosis that may or, you know, of the wrong diagnosis of Alzheimer's is, you know, would be even worse, I don't know, uh, than the, the diagnosis. In 2021, there were reportedly 6 million people in the United States with Alzheimer's disease, according to the CDC. We can believe the CDC, but anyway, I believe that, you know, there's... Um, it affects blacks two times more commonly, and it's probably secondary to risk factors. Blacks have more hypertension, more vascular disease. But only 5% of the trials involving Alzheimer's medication involve black people. 
And again, just like aspirin in women, was never done. Um, and it took us years and years and years to finally say, okay, this makes things worse. Um, it's not necessarily, um, again, advantageous, uh, you know, what therapies work um, when we don't include people in these, and what side effects occur when we don't include people of various, um, with various backgrounds, various ethnic backgrounds, um, various comorbidities with some of these treatments. In June of last year, the drug, and I do believe I, re, um, I reviewed it on a, the re, previous podcast, Abdullah, and last week they actually stopped making the drug. Um, part of the reason why they said they stopped making the drug was that um, insurers were reluctant to pay for this very, very expensive medication. But um, the reality of it is the trials that were done, um, it, they weren't, weren't that great, even though that they showed some MRI. So they had to do special MRIs to look at the plaques and uh, in the tangles in the brain. So it required a special MRI, multiple repeated MRIs, and then they did cognitive studies. And even though the brain scans appeared better, the people didn't really do better. And there was an independent study in 2019 from the monitoring committee, and they said doesn't work. But ironically, the FDA still approved the drug, and um, it led to some fallout. The head researcher actually quit the company. Um, it, you know, again, so this is one of the FDA pharmaceutical insider will approve this override. Um, very expensive drug. Who's going to get it? How are we going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for all these tests? How do we roll it out? Uh, type of things. And now looking back at the drug, there were significant side effects that weren't even reported. Um, and actually, it was suggested to ignore some of them. But the side effects of this medication, and again, these people in this trial were people that were when I say otherwise healthy, for the most part, otherwise healthy, they weren't on blood thinners, they hadn't had big heart attacks, you know, so the, the dementia was one of their primary diagnoses with not much else wrong with them. And they had serious side effects of headaches and confusion and delirium and disorientation, dizziness, spinning sensation, vision changes, and nausea. And 41 patients in the key clinical trial that led to funding this drug experienced brain bleeding and brain swelling. And the people that were directing the study, they saw these things and they, said they weren't sure how to, what to make of it. And they just had people ignore it. Yet the, you know, the press came out with, you know, oh, you know, a miracle drug for Alzheimer's has, has been released that re, you know, removes these plaques and turns back brain aging. And um, you know, it's going to be a great thing. And it was, you know, well, how, again, as a physician, you know, who do you put this really expensive medication on? And how do you determine if it's working? And does everybody get it? You know, I mean, insurance companies, again, it was extremely expensive. And, you know, what's the benefit? And um, so it was a very, very expensive drug that came and went with Alzheimer's like a lot of other drugs that come and go with Alzheimer's. Most of the medications that are out there, none of them reverse disease and make people better again. 
Um, can some of them delay progression? Maybe, but really, you know, it's so subjective. But the problem is most of the medications, side effects are delirium, suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety, um, cardiac side effects such as severe bradycardia and arrhythmias. I know from personal experience that, um, you know, there are certain drugs. And, and most people that have, or, you know, most people at risk for Alzheimer's or dementias get, you know, have comorbidities such as cardiac issues or blood pressure issues or balance issues. So these drugs can take a disease that's awful and make it really worse very quickly. I know my dad experienced the depression and suicidal ideations with some of the medications and some deliriums and actually got better when we took him off of the medications. And so it can, it can be, but you know, if, you know, again, I had the luxury of being here, being with him, having some medical background. But if you're with a loved one and this is happening and it's kind of spinning out of control, you, you know, I understand people will try anything. And neurologists want to give people, they want to, you know, it's not like they're pushing the drug. That's all they have. But I believe that there, you know, there are some things that we did that I think that are better alternatives. And again, I want to talk about some nutritional things that are, are potentially better alternatives. First of all, I think as we get older, we need to train to be a blue zoner. And if you don't know what blue zones are, the reference is um, a study by Dan Buettner and a book published by him uh, with National Geographic that looked at places in the world where people lived to be 100 and were functioning independently and did well without dementia. One thing they all had in common is they were socially connected and had a sense of purpose. My parents were avid golfers. Uh, my mom still golfs. They had a community of friends that golfed. They did breakfast together. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't a healthy breakfast, but, so, but they remained, you know, my mom maintained um, that social structure for as long as they possibly could. Uh, they continued their golf game as long as my dad could golf. Uh, and, and he really did up until the last, I would say, maybe nine months to a year. Um, and it's probably closer to nine months would go actually go out and golf. Um, with my mom. And it was, you know, my mom really never left my dad's side very long. Um, you know, she was very, very dedicated to care, to his care. Um, and it's why, you know, he did as well as he did. Um, we became plant-based along that time. And people that know the story, my mom was also finishing, uh, or in the midst of, it's hard to remember that gory details of time, but her lymphoma chemotherapy. But she continued to push through. Um, I cooked plant-based at home. They went out to breakfast. They continued to golf. He would go outside. Um, social, you know, the social interactions are, are very important. But, but blues owners have a, you know, a sense of purpose. And, and my parents have always had a sense of purpose. You know, they worked. Again, I've told you when, on the diva's birthday, she's always been a mover and a shaker. Um, but they golfed. My dad rode his bike. Um, you know, you want to, they, they picked up my daughter from school. So having a sense of purpose is, is really important, a sense of community. 
And it's really important to maintain that. And I fear that with COVID and all the isolation people have had and arguments with families over vaccine, that this has deteriorated. Uh, and social networks have, have deteriorated because of mask and being inside and all this kind of thing. So, you know, I would suggest people fight to maintain those social, that social connectedness. If you're in a golfing group, keep golfing, you know, um, you know any kind of social groups uh, that you can be involved in. I think it's, it's very important. So in studies looking at, you know, how do you decrease your risk factors or improve your outcome with Alzheimer's, regular exercise, not smoking, moderate alcohol intake was listed, um, maintaining a healthy body weight or a normal body mass index, um, and a healthy diet. Um, and of all those, exercise had the greatest impact. If you achieved all five of those, uh, you were six, 60% less likely to have a diagnosis of uh, significant dementia. Exercises that increase your heart rate, especially in your middle and older age groups, improves memory decline substantially, decreases the rate of dementia of all causes, as well as Alzheimer's, uh, general dementia, 30% risk reduction, Alzheimer's specifically a 45% reduction. When they looked at a group of uh, older people, age 82 was the average age. There were 716 people in this particular study. The people that were in the bottom 10% of exercisers had twice the amount of dementia as the people that were in the top tier of exercising. So again, uh, you know, huffing and puffing, getting your heart rate up. I typically prescribe people to exercise in that 70 to 75% um, heart rate max zone. So 70, 75% uh, predicted max is a great target. If you have no other cardiac conditions, uh, again, see your doctor. Um, we do specific heart rate targets for our members. So it's uh, important to, again, talk to your doctor based on your current level of um, fitness. It was a very large study looking at um, specific risk factors, but lowering cholesterol um, was associated with a decreased risk of Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, running greater than 15 miles a week, 40% lower risk of dying from Alzheimer's. If you're not a runner and you double the time walking, you had the same results. So let's say you run three miles at 11 minute pace, that's 33 minutes. You need to walk 66 minutes to get the same results. So again, running is great. You're too old not to run is the way I look at it. Um, when you look at kinds of gets, you know, we say Alzheimer's dementia, um, it, it all kind of gets lumped together a lot of times. Um, vascular dementia is what we can kind of see best on MRIs to, is, is a general in our MRI screening and people see multi-infarct dementia, little white spots through the brain. Uh, it's associated with mini strokes and TIAs over time. Some of the symptoms of vascular dementia include, you know, just executive decision-making starts to decline, slower processing speed of, of making decisions or, or mental tasks um, are really what you start to see uh, with vascular dementia. The vision abnormalities like my dad had is also a sign of vascular dementia. Again, 
when you take light in through your eyes and it goes through into your brain through the optic chiasm back into the optic center of your brain, you can imagine if those are a bunch of circuits and there's a bunch of short circuits there, you're, you're not going to be able to process the information. One of the things that a neurologist um, that I thought was a, a good definition or a way to look or understand what people are going through that have uh, dementia or uh, a various is in memory loss is they start to see people, you know, they start to th see things 20 years ago. So they have a very clear picture of 20 years ago. So even if you look at someone, you see them 20 years ago. And so the confusion about what somebody looks like is because they don't look now like what they did 20 years ago. So, you know, um, the funny story, you know, retrospect that we look back at is my dad would get confused about my mother and he thought there were two divas and, um, you know, part of it was because she was going through chemotherapy and lost her hair. But the other part of it was that he became confused as far as what she actually looked like. His vision of her was somewhat younger. Um, or, you know, a different time period. And that can be, you know, very devastating to the caregiver because there's a confusion. My mother played the game pretty good. She would, you know, blame the other Alfredo on various things that, that happened. So, you know, I think that's the other part of being an Alzheimer caregiver is to not make light, but cherish the good days. Don't dwell on the things that happened that are wrong. You know, sometimes we would say, what good happened today? You know, one of the things that my dad said that was funny is that we had, we had a green plant growing out of control in the backyard. I'm sorry, in the back porch. He told my mother she should get rid of that plant because I was going to make him eat it. Otherwise, I'd cook it up in, in some sort of plant-based dish. So it was funny enough that he knew that I was changing our menu and how I was cooking. And he wasn't real keen about it most of the time. So it's better to get your nutrition straightened up before you get ill because just like with COVID and you lose your appetite, that's not the time to become plant-based. You know, I mean, you're not going to want to learn to do new recipes and try to research all this, you know, what's the best. And it, it's good to prepare, um, train to be a blue zoner, <clears throat> train to be healthy, train to decrease, improve your immune system. <clears throat> I think when older people's taste buds go, um, it, you've got to take that into account too. So keeping familiar foods, but changing it up. Um, my nurse Dawn and I had a discussion about, you know, sometimes we have members that aren't achieving their goal and they just keep coming back with, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, or I'm not doing anything wrong, or I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm doing everything you say. And we try to do nutrition logs with Addie uh, Delaney Miner, our registered dietitian. But nutrition logs are only as good as what you report. And, you know, everybody wants to pass the test. And so you report the good things and you kind of forget the bad things. But that doesn't help us really correct the situation. But, you know, again, back to people's preferences. If you like pancakes, then we can show you how to make pancakes that don't have eggs and butter and cream in them. You know, we can make pancakes out of a whole grain, teff flour, buckwheat flour. You know, we can make pancakes taste good that are actually healthy. If you like pasta, we can make pasta healthy with lots of vegetables. 
you know, um, add in, you know, beans. So we can do things to help uh, people change gradually. If you have somebody that likes pasta, that has dementia, then, you know, pureeing vegetables into the sauce, pureeing carrots, pureeing greens, making soups that are favorites, but you just change them up a little bit. You know, my dad liked potato soup, so we make potato leek soup. You don't taste the milk being gone, uh, or maybe an almond or soy milk added into it if you if you do that, or a little miso added into it, you, the leek added into it piece. It looks like potato soup, tastes like potato soup. Vegetable soup, um, same way. You you know you have lots of vegetables. You add beans, chili, the same way. So keeping things familiar and then just pureeing or adding in a little bit of vegetable can actually. Um, even improve taste buds a little bit and make people start to like those those things. Fruit fruit smoothies in older people, again, that are having trouble getting calories in. If the BMI is elevated, then that's not such a problem. But blueberries, we know, um, are very good in the polyphenols as far as memory go, uh, diabetes control. And again, a lot of what causes, especially vascular dementia, causes diabetes, causes cardiovascular disease. So Things that improve cholesterol, things that improve glucose function or glucose utilization um, are going to decrease risk of Alzheimer's or potentially improve memory function. You know, there are numerous studies that show how you eat and how you live and how you're able to perform at age 40 to 50 is going to predict how you're performing at 70 to 90. So... This is the time to prepare for your older years and to keep things going. When statins were used, you know, I talked about lowering cholesterol, but when statins were used in people, the absolute risk of uh, dementia was 0.2%. Um, and it looked at, you know, Alzheimer's cases, you know, as a mere, um, you know, 127 decrease in cases out of over 14,000 in these two groups. On the other hand, blueberries improve cognitive function on observational studies. So no side effects to blueberries, side effects to statins. Um, you know, you can't get hurt with nutritional inter interventions. I hear all the time people say they gave up sugar, and I never know what that means. Um, because, again, you know, as I say many times on this podcast, sugar is in every carbohydrate that we consume, whether it's fruit, potatoes, vegetables, there, there's some sugar involved. What I believe they actually mean is they gave up processed sugar. But it's not that easy in a lot of people because then they may say, well, you know, they had, did you look at the ice cream? What ice cream has, you know, so processed foods is where I look at simple, simple sugars. So when you're giving up cakes, candies, um, commercial ice creams, those you're giving up, those are the sugars that we want to give up. Those are the sugars that decrease inflammation, or those are the sugars that actually increase inflammation in the brain. And it's been shown to decrease communication between the neurons. So, again, if you're looking at those circuits, glucose tends to cause an inflammation or glucose intolerance. It's actually been described as a type 3 diabetes in the brain where the glucose, excess glucose or excess simple sugars that become inflammatory between the neurons cause a decrease in those circuits. Cholesterol seems to accelerate what happens inside the neuron or inside the nerve cell. And again, metabolic waste associated with that and the inflammation inside the nerve cell. So decreasing 
you know, again, changing those pancakes out to pancakes that don't have eggs and milk and butter in them into something different. Um, at age 40 and 50 can be a game changer later on in life. Decreasing inflammation has also been shown to clear some of those amyloid plaques. My initial topic for this podcast was where's your kitchen? And I think it's, it's still very appropriate uh, when it comes to Alzheimer's prevention. Um, eating out every night, uh, eating out lots, eating fast foods, processed foods. Even, you know, Dr. Esselstyn, we had the conversation one time. He's like, well, how many times do they eat out? And I said, once a week. And he said, well, that's 52 times a year. And, it, you know, when you look at it like that, it's 52 times a year that you could be exposed to tremendous toxic um, things that, you know, accelerate your risk for, for Alzheimer's or dementia. Addie and I were talking about even things like bread. If you eat uh, pep Pepperidge Farm whole grain bread from the store shelf with two paragraphs full of ingredients versus sourdough bread for 25 years, look at the toxic chemical exposure additive exposure that your body has to process that it doesn't know how over that 20-year period. Add in something else, you know, um, you know, add those, that, that pancakes in the box versus pancakes that you make at home. You know, lack of vegetables that people have, you know, eating, you know, I, I, some of these uh, crazy, I saw a, a woman on a video that she had this cauliflower and she was so proud that she ate this entire head of cauliflower but she had doused this cauliflower in salt water to boil it then covered it with oil and baked it then put more oil and a cream sauce on top of it and it's like well she took a perfectly good cauliflower that had nitric oxide producing capabilities and drenched it with inflammatory things that and salt that you know that took it from a health food to a fast food basically so you know over the years those those add up speaking words give thoughts power um, and it happens both in a positive and negative type fashion if you're running and you start to talk about you know how hot it is and how your feet kind of hurt and your back kind of hurts and your knee kind of hurts, then it's going to be easy to pull the plug on, I'm not going to do this. Um, you know, you start to talk about all the things that are going wrong, um, chances are you're not going to continue a current activity. On the other hand, when you give words, uh, positive words to things, then, you know, you accelerate your ability to be able to continue to do it. And, and you're kind of giving yourself encouragement. There were, there was a study looking at people on a, on cyclists, professional cyclists, and they would actually flash these happy face signs up uh, intermittently while they were cycling at maximum intensity. And when they flashed the happy face signs up at them, they actually were able to cycle more than, you know, when they, they didn't have any other input. If anybody's ever run, you know, when people are running with music, it's usually a distraction, but that beat is, is somewhat psychologically encouraging. But when you get back to plant-based nutrition, saying that you're going to do something, you know, talking about, you know, and, and I don't mean for people to go out and, you know, dominate the conversation of why they're plant-based and cruelty to animals and all this other kind of stuff and make people feel bad. But, you know, I'm doing this for my health. This is the way I'm eating it. You make a declaration, and it's like, I'm going to choose the salad because that is what is good for me. I'm eating plant-based, and and I think it scares people to death um, that somebody's not going to accept them, so they try to keep it a secret, 
and and it's it's just a license to fail, you know, because again, there's this doubt that creeps in. Well, if other people don't think this is a good idea, and and I, you know, it's probably not a good idea, and, and I I won't necessarily do it. The more you do something, the better you'll get at it. Um, so keep track and keep improving. Look at the things that you're eating and say, is there a healthy is there a healthier way around this? Put a positive spin on going into your kitchen. Name the foods that are actually going to make and what they're going to do for you. You know, those blueberries are going to improve my brain function. I might not forget what I had for dinner if I have blueberries afterwards. Maybe that is true because nobody forgets to tell me they had a salad, but a lot of people forget to tell me they have an ice cream. So salad must improve your memory and ice cream must decrease your memory. Must be true. Email me if it's not. My last closing thought for dementia and Alzheimer's is to be kind. Um, if somebody has significant memory loss or they forget to do things, repeating it over and over to them doesn't make it better. Trying to redirect them if they say something wrong can only encourage that or cause them to be more frustrated. So, you know, I've always made it a thing that I, I just go with the story and listen and let the story be told. Um, try to give comfort where you can and accept some things you can't change and you support your loved one the best that you can um, and like I said enjoy the good moments and make light of things that you can and try to live your life to prevent all that you can so with that regard I'm gonna give my voice a break thank you as always for listening if you'd like to email me at jamie at drdelaney.com, it's J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. You can find out more about our practice at drdelaney.com and certainly figure out how to join it. Um, we're having more and more people sign up to run that marathon with us next March, so it's time to get training. If you'd like to run with us at the Treasure Coast Marathon next March, uh, go on over and look at the, the website and sign up. Um, if you'd like to be involved in our practice running training, eating, plant-based. We'd love to have you. Uh, we have people in our practice from their 20s to uh, late 90s, so nobody's too young or too old to start becoming more healthy. Thanks for listening. Share this with a friend. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>